All right, today we're in uh, week three of our series, Unlikely Heroes. And uh, for the last two weeks, we've been talking about David. Uh, we've seen David at his finest, and we've seen David at his worst. And we're going to wrap up our study today with King David, and then we'll look at another unlikely hero next week as we study the life of Gideon. But just before we jump into our study on David, I want to talk about David's predecessor because David and Saul's story is really intertwined uh, for quite some time. And so I want you to understand a little bit of the backstory. Saul was Israel's first king. Uh, the children of Israel wanted a king. God said, you don't want a king. I want to be your king. I'll be your king. And, and uh, they said, no, no, we, we want a king. We really want a king. Everybody else has a king. Let us have a king. And so God let them have a king, but he said, here's what's going to happen. You get a king, this, 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 and this is going to happen. Of course, those things all happen. The people were looking for a military leader who would be able to lead them against the Philistines. And Saul had all the physical characteristics uh, that the crowd was wanting. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't have the character to back it up. When you study the life of Saul, you learn pretty quickly that he was more interested in his own glory than he was in God's glory. So... Saul, well, he failed a very important test that we're going to look at here in just a moment. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to read beginning in verse 5. It says, The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers. Charioteers are much like mouseketeers, only much, much meaner. <laughs> Some of the younger people are like, what is a mouseketeer? I'll show you. M-I-C-K-E-Y. Those are mouseketeers right there, okay? That's what they look like. <laughs> they're usually 45 and older, but they are, they're, they're there. <laughs> Anyhow, 6,000 charioteers were there, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of beth When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we open your word this morning that you would speak to us. Lord, even now that each person in this room, as I'm praying, would pray God speak to me. God, give me something this morning. Show me what you would have me do. Show me what you'd have me change, who you'd have me become. God, just speak to me today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Saul here made a huge mistake. He knew that he was not qualified to offer up the burnt offerings, but he had places to go. He had things to do. He didn't have time to wait around for Samuel or even God for that matter. So he decided to take matters into his own hands. So listen to Saul's explanation, verse 11, Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, well, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought for the Lord's favor. 
So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I mean, who could blame him, right? <laughs> I mean, the soldiers were leaving. The Philistines were getting organized. Samuel seemed to be taking his merry old time. So he thought, I can do this. I can handle this. I don't need to wait on Samuel. Have you ever tried to force God's hands when he wasn't working on your time schedule? Well, that's what Saul did here. Let's see how that goes over. Verse 13. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now we get down to the real issue here with Saul. And the, the issue was that Saul didn't have a heart for God. Saul was interested in promoting his kingdom, not God's. Saul wanted to push his agenda. Saul wanted to do things his way, not God's way. In verse 14, Samuel said, the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. You see, having a heart after God is a big deal. We see this throughout scripture. Second Chronicles 69 says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the land, the earth, to strengthen those whose what? Whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. Not 99%, but 100%, fully, totally, completely committed to him. What does it mean to have a heart that's a heart after God, a heart that's fully committed to him? It means you trust God completely. Even when things don't necessarily make sense to you, the way things are panning out and playing out, when they don't make sense, you still trust God. You rely on God as opposed to, well, making things happen on your own. You trust that in God's time, he'll work out the details. Trusting in God means that you practice unquestioning obedience in your life. You have complete confidence in the promises of the word of God. And you believe that he's going to answer and do exactly what he says he'll do. You exercise simple faith because you truly do believe that God not only knows what best, but, what, but will do what's best. So you're completely and totally committed to his will and his purpose for your life. In other words, you're all in for God. Now, when we use that as a grid to examine Saul, well, we have some problems because Saul didn't trust God completely. Saul relied upon himself. Surely I can do this. Saul didn't obey God. He knew he wasn't qualified to do it, but he did it anyhow. He didn't trust God. And at the end of the day, he wasn't committed to God's purpose. He, he had an agenda and he was going to do what he wanted to do. And so God took the kingdom away from Saul and he gave it to a man who had a heart after God. In Proverbs, Solomon wrote this. He says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. An old preacher used to say, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. And your heart reveals the true you, your ambitions, your priorities, your morals, your values, your heart is the central operating system of your life, and it's directly connected to your thoughts. 
Your thoughts, both positive, negative, good or bad, they control your attitudes. So your thoughts lead to attitudes. Your attitudes lead to actions. Your actions lead to achievements. But it all begins in your thought life. It all begins right up here in what God calls your heart. In fact, having a heart after God is so important that God one time wiped out an entire civilization because their heart was not after him. And you know the story. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 6. Verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from, from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. And so God started over. And he wiped out everyone except the family of Noah. So you see then, having a heart after God is a big deal. Being a man or woman with a heart after God is not a mystical thing. It's not an emotional feeling. It's not even an answer to prayer. Having a heart after God is the result of daily choices that honor God. It's when you just do what God tells you to do in his word. It's when you completely and fully trust him. After Saul's decision to disregard God's rule of order, God told the prophet Samuel, he says, listen, it's time to appoint and anoint a new king. And so that brings us to our final story about David here in this series. And we're gonna find ourselves in a pasture land around Bethlehem, and there's a teenage boy who's out tending his father's sheep. The Lord instructed Samuel to go down to Bethlehem and to meet with Jesse because God had selected one of Jesse's sons to be the next king of Israel. So we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 16, 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, well, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called uh, uh, Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's out tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We'll not sit down until he arrives. Verse 12, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now we see here that God selected David, not because of his good looks, not because of his stature, not because of his abilities, but because of his heart. The reality is it's quite probable that not only was David the youngest, he was probably also the smallest. The Hebrew word there in that text kind of gives the idea that David was the runt 
of the family. He was the smallest, likely, of the brothers. And, uh, you know, his father didn't even think to bring him in because his father didn't even think he would be a candidate for king. One commentator I read this week said that David was probably what we would call a cute kid. He was one of those cute little kids, but his stature and stuff, like, I can see him. He's a cute little guy, but he's certainly not, he's not kingly. He's not the kind of guy that's going to lead the nation. The reality is he was probably just ordinary. Nothing within David made him stand out as a natural born leader, let alone the person to be the king. And yet, It was the fact that David was ordinary that made him a great candidate because God loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. Now in America, we're inclined to promote the Sauls and overlook the Davids. This happens in politics, in corporate America, and in the church. We evaluate people based upon their looks. They look like a leader. They act like a leader. They speak like a leader. So our, our society is obsessed with physical appearance. That's why we spend so much time at health clubs. That's why one of the fastest growing industries in this country is plastic surgery. It's why for two or three weeks in January, we go on Weight Watchers. <laughs> Billions of dollars are spent each year to get us physically fit. And there's nothing wrong with being healthy and physically fit. It's really a good thing. It's just not a criteria that God uses when he's choosing who he's going to use. Amen? We put such high priority on externals. And God is looking deep within for something more. He's looking for something more. In my 30, almost 31 years of ministry, I've made the mistake of thinking that because someone was a success in corporate America, that they would be a great leader in the church. And I've learned that that is not true. And I'm not saying that great business people can't be great church leaders, but I'm saying if their heart is not in the right place, then they would not be a good candidate. Just because they're successful in business does not mean they'll be successful in what God wants them to do. Amen? So if you're going to put someone into a position of leadership, they need to be a godly leader, a person of character, a man or woman of deep faith. If not, you're setting them and the church up for failure. God is looking for ordinary, humble people with a heart for God. And he'll use them incredibly to do significant things. You see, a humble person will allow God's spirit to work in their lives. They recognize that Their abilities, their power, their strength comes from God and not from themselves. God is just looking for people who are willing to follow him, to obey him, to allow his strength to work through them. We see this all throughout scripture. It's it's what allowed the spirit of God to come upon Joseph, who was a, a foreign criminal in Egypt, to become the second most powerful man in the land. It was only by the Spirit of God that Gideon could take 300 people and defeat an army of 100,000 without a single casualty. We're going to study that next week. It was what allowed the early church in the New Testament, through the power of the Spirit of God, to defy the Roman Empire, to testify boldly about Jesus, even when it cost them their lives. Zechariah summed it up well. He said, not by strength or by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 
Too many people today are trying to become David while pursuing the path of Saul. We want to be used by God in his kingdom, but we want to use our strength, our ingenuity, and our abilities to do it, and our education, and our success, and our good name. God says, I don't need any of those things. God says, I'm looking for your heart. I'm looking for men and women with character who trust me and are willing to walk by faith. David is an example for us to follow. When you read his writings in the book of Psalm, you quickly see that David was willing to embrace his role as a sheep. Now, as a shepherd, David certainly knew sheep. Sheep are dumb. They're not strategic thinkers. Almost any predator can overcome a sheep. If a sheep thrives, it's because of the care of the shepherd, not because of the skill of the sheep. That's why David said something that you probably all know by heart. The Lord is my shepherd, right? David was humble enough to say, God, you're the shepherd, I'm the sheep. I'm dependent upon you, the great shepherd. So I find it interesting that even after Samuel anoints David to be the next king, David's life didn't, didn't necessarily change immediately. He didn't start an apprenticeship. He didn't go with Samuel and go to king's school. <laughs> he just went back to the pasture. He went back to working for his dad, doing the family business for years, years. Can you imagine that? Anointed the king, the next king. And yet day after day, you're leading a bunch of sheep from point A to point B, from watering hole to watering hole, from pasture land to pasture land, chasing after the stragglers, getting the stupid one that got stuck in a hole, getting it back out so he can jump back in a hole and get him back out again. What was going through David's mind when all this was going on? Man, I've been anointed to be the next king, and here I am just traipsing around after these sheep. David spent years in limbo, just waiting. Probably thinking, I, I mean, I should be doing something to prepare for this. But what do I do? So in the years that David spent out there, he started to play around with a slingshot. But I mean, hey, how is being good at a slingshot going to help me, right? I mean, yeah, I've had a couple encounters with some wild animals, but what's, what's that going to do? How's that going to help me be a, a, you know, a, a leader or a king? And he probably spent hours and hours just humming and singing and writing. And, but how's God going to use that? Well, maybe, just maybe David was in King's school. He just didn't realize it. That God was refining him. God was growing him, smoothing off the rough edges, equipping him and preparing him for what God wanted to do through him. David Spent 15 years living in obscurity and suffering before he was actually a king. And really, David kind of prefigures Christ. Jesus spent 30 years of his life as a commoner. He worked as a carpenter, following in his father's footsteps, 
We don't know for sure what kind of carpet. I don't know if he built houses, if he built chariots, if he built doors and wood tables. I don't, I don't know. But he worked as a carpenter. He was a blue, a blue collar kind of a guy. I'm sure he got calluses on his hands when he'd worked hard. He wasn't a rising ruler among the Jews, wasn't a rabbi. His friends just called him Jesus. In fact, the majority of Jesus' time on earth was spent in obscurity. He was a man of humble means. He didn't go out to make a bunch of money. When he died, he had very little, just a coat. His life was filled with hard work and pain. He was like every other common person of the day. But at the right time, God the Father called him and anointed him for ministry and sent him to fulfill his destiny to be the sacrifice to pay for the sins of all mankind. So David, like Jesus, was just faithful to what he was supposed to do and God was at work behind the scenes working in ways that David didn't necessarily understand, but he remained faithful. In his heart, David was maturing. He was growing. He was developing. He was, he was blossoming in his faith. Now, this summer, we're going to study through the book of Psalms, and uh, we're going to be able to see just the incredible heart of David throughout the Psalms. I mean, it really is amazing uh, to see just a snapshot of what was going on between his ears. I just want to read one brief passage for you this morning, just for you to get a glimpse of who David was and, and what made his heart so special. Psalm 63, verse 1. David said, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. You see, it was a heart like that that caused God to select David out of the eight sons of Jesse to be the next leader of Israel. David's heart was right. And he did become a mighty warrior and, a, uh, and just a valiant general and an, an inspired leader, a great businessman, skilled marksman, a gifted writer and singer and song, songwriter. But the thing that really impressed God about David was his heart. That's why we see in Acts 13, verse 22, after removing Saul, he made David their king. Listen, God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. You see, David was willing to allow God to mold and to shape his heart. He was humble and willing to say, God, here am I. What do, you, what do you want to do in me and through me? 
I believe God is looking for the same thing today. He's looking for men and women whose hearts are right. He doesn't evaluate us based upon human standards. He doesn't say, oh, wow, look how successful they were. Look what a great business they led. Look what a, what a woman of faith she is. Look, what a, what a great, look at all this stuff. He looks at the fact, do you truly love me? Do you trust me? Will you obey me? Will you follow me? Is my heart after the heart of God? For six years now, we've been praying that God would use Venture Church to spark a movement of God in our community. And I believe that God is going to do it. And he will likely do it with one of you. He'll likely do it with one of you. You might be the unlikely hero that, in, that God empowers to do something significant. Oh, people might look around the room and say, oh, I bet that's going to be the person or I bet that person. You know, the reality is it would probably be the last person we would expect because that's just how God works. He doesn't look in the exterior, the outside parts of man. He looks at the hearts and what he's looking for is hearts that are after him. A heart that is willing to do whatever God wants them to do. A heart that just truly loves God and, and, and is humble and is willing to just do whatever God wants them to do. You might be that person. Now, we begin to make excuses in our mind. Well, I'm too old. Really? Don't tell that to Abraham, will you? I'm not smart enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not much of a leader. You know, I, did, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. You might be the hero God wants to use to do something significant right here in this place. You might be the person that God leads to channel resources to do his work. You might be the person that God chooses to trigger the next great move of God in this land. So my challenge to you today is to be more like David and less like Saul. Focus more on the heart than the exterior achievements. Don't try to impress people with what you know, what you've done, who you are, what you've built. Instead, just focus on having a heart after God and in humility saying, God, I'm not much, but what I am, I'm yours. If you want to use me, here I am. And you just never know. You might be the one that God says it's you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to spark a movement of God in Southwest Florida, and I'm going to use you, or you, or you, or you, or you to do it. Say, well, how do I prepare for that? Well, you prepare for it the same way David did. You just do what he's called you to do, and you get out there and you be faithful. And you may spend years in the pasture land chasing after sheep, wondering, is this all there is? Is there nothing more? And God says, I'm at work behind the scenes. Because remember, God is looking at your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would rise up some Davids in this place, some unlikely heroes with a heart for you. 
Oh God, David wasn't perfect and he certainly made some terrific blunders. But you could see his heart. And you knew that he wanted to do right even when he did dumb things sometimes. God, help us to be men and women who have a heart for you, that want to please you with our lives, that want to follow you, that are willing to just humbly obey and serve. We don't care who gets the credit and who gets the glory as long as it's you, God. So God, I pray you would do a mighty work in this land, in this city, in this church, and that you would rise up some unlikely heroes like David with a heart completely committed to you. So Father, help each one of us to spend some time this week in quiet reflection, just thinking, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to give, I'll give. God, I'm here to serve you. I serve at your pleasure. So God, may you, may you do great things. May you do great things in this city, in this place, and in this church for your honor and for your glory. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand as we sing our final song.